Hello and welcome to another episode of Chemically Speaking, the official podcast of the Royal Australian Chemical Institute. My name is Dr. Matt Griffith, and today we'll be delving into the emerging trends in chemistry education in Australia. We hope you're all keeping safe and well in these challenging COVID times. And as we work through the latest COVID-related lockdowns across Australia, I find myself indulging in a lot more research to satisfy my curiosity about the world around me. If you've also been curious about new ideas and think that they would make a good episode for us, then please head on over to our podcast website, www.raci.org.au backslash chemically speaking and get in touch with us. We'd love to help use our access to Australia's chemists to help explain the world around you. And in that spirit, let's dive right into today's episode where we explore emerging trends in chemistry education. Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Anyone involved with education has likely heard Nelson Mandela's famous quote, and when it comes to changing the world, he was certainly a man with an impressive CV. During my own time at the front of classrooms or chatting with parents of aspiring scientists, I found that people are often intimidated by difficult subjects like chemistry and can easily become plagued by doubt about their own ability. But we all must start somewhere, and I'm a firm believer that the only thing you really need to enjoy the study of chemistry is an interest in asking the following question. I wonder what would happen if... Now, of course, parents I spoke to would often point out that all of their trips to the emergency room also started out with their child asking the exact same question. So perhaps there's a little bit more that we need to add to this picture. Now, while a teacher can distribute a syllabus, write lectures or deliver classes, supervise practicals and mark exams, it's worth recognising that all the actual learning is done by the student. The biggest trend to emerge in chemistry education in the past few decades is that good schools, universities and employers are finding that they are most successful in educating people when they put their student and employee experience at the focus of their activities. Today's guests will take us on an abbreviated journey through a high school classroom into a university degree and out into industry jobs, talking about the different phases of chemistry education and the emerging trends in the way this education is delivered. We'll discuss what students should know, how they are currently learning to use their understanding of chemistry, and what they should be able to do with this knowledge as they enter the workforce. We'll attempt to weave together some common themes and confirm that Nelson Mandela was absolutely right, and education in chemistry does provide a fantastic foundation for you to change the world. Our first guest today is Regina Mentz, who is the principal of O'Connor Catholic College in Armidale. Regina completed a degree in secondary science teaching at Charles Sturt University before embarking on a teaching career that has taken her across Victoria, New South Wales and the Northern Territory. Through her desire to inspire the next generation of Australians with her love of chemistry, Regina is a passionate advocate for the role of science teachers in high school education. Regina, thank you very much for being with us today on Chemically Speaking. It's great to be here. 
You've held a passion for education from a young age and then coupled this into a strong interest in science in your high school years. What was it about chemistry in particular that made you want to teach in this space for a living? Well, the first thing that I loved about chemistry was doing the experiments. I always found those really interesting. But to me, chemistry is the basis of all science. Having a really strong understanding in chemistry means you can understand a lot of different areas about our world and our universe. And so for me, chemistry was a natural fit for one I was really passionate about and one I could teach other young people to be passionate about as well. Excellent. And building on that passion, you've also had a lot of experience teaching chemistry across several different schools. Now, in this time, what have you found are the main things that attract students towards the study of chemistry? It's a really interesting subject, chemistry, and probably the things that drew me to it um, draw students to it. It's also the passionate teachers. So in seven to 10 in high school, the teachers who really love their science and chemistry has that broad basis so that students, no matter what career they're looking at, whether it's health, whether it's straight science career, it's a really good foundational skill. They love the experiments as well. But it's also about understanding the why. Why do things have these properties? Why do they react like they do? So chemistry has that real attraction because of how many why questions it can answer. So interesting, coupling that passion with that need to know more. And so you've taught in both Melbourne in the city and in a range of more rural schools throughout New South Wales and the Northern Territory, ending up, of course, now in Armidale. Does the teaching experience and the methodology that you employ differ much in a rural setting? It does. And it's really about wherever you're teaching, contextualizing it for the students you have. So every year you adapt your teaching to suit the students in front of you. In a rural setting, you have that ability to look at where the students are coming from and then relating the chemistry to their everyday lives. So if I think about Armidale, we have a number of students who come off a farm. So we can really look at things that affect their lives, like the soil testing, how fertilizers affect the environment, water testing. So things that have a real impact on their life. It's also, there's different access to resources in the country. So you have to think outside the square a bit more. It's not like things are necessarily on tap like they might be in metropolitan areas. So it's about connecting students to the whole world through the use of technology and um, trying to find their passions and find people they can link up with. Yeah, as someone that did primary school in Sydney and high school in the wonderful farmland of Orange, I can certainly relate to that. And so What have been the major changes in the high school chemistry curriculum over, say, the last decade? And what's the rationale behind these changes from an educational perspective? So I'm really going to talk about New South Wales here because we've had major changes in our senior science syllabuses over the last few years. So they changed the first year we started teaching them was 2019. Prior to that, the syllabuses I really liked The only issue with the syllabuses prior to the new ones, which I like even more, is that the context was everyone across the state had to use the same context. So the examples were all prescriptive, all the experiments were really prescriptive. The new syllabuses give us much more flexibility. 
So with the new syllabuses, the content areas are really strong. So you do equilibrium, you do acid-based reactions. However, the context is not prescribed. So as experienced teachers, we can choose to pick the context that best suits our students. So like I was saying to you before, something like doing soil testing and looking at the pH of soils is much more relevant to our students who come from a farm than maybe a metropolitan student. The other thing that is really great in the new syllabuses is that they have left some hours to do a depth study. So 15 hours in year 12 is dedicated to a depth study. What this means is this can be an area where students choose to extend their understanding of a particular concept in an area that they're interested in. So they get about three weeks really to do a project where they look at working scientifically skills, but also depthing their understanding. Yeah, I think that sounds fantastic. And in particular, allowing our teachers who train so hard to actually provide some context sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, it's great. So what mix of learning activities would a student typically encounter in one of today's chemistry courses in high school? A real range. We really try to work hard on a range of different skills. So there's a real need in any teaching to have some explicit teaching, but also some opportunities for students to explore and develop their own skills, independent learning, as well as collaboration and problem solving. The best thing about teaching science and chemistry in particular is that it's not the same. The lessons are not the same. There's always something different and something interesting happening. Fantastic. And coupling into these learning experiences, have there been any new topics or new innovations that have come into the curriculum in recent years that are looking to change the way students learn chemistry? I think the biggest change in New South Wales is the addition of a science extension course. So if a student is studying a science course of any type in year 11, as they enter year 12, they can choose to do an extra unit called science extension. So the science extension course is really a culmination of all the science they've learned. Students choose a research topic and then they might work with a mentor from a university. So they might be into some of their work and getting some of their statistics or they can do something completely separate. But this really gets their understanding of that whole scientific process. The level of work that the students produce is outstanding. The last with the depth studies and science extension These students are so well prepared for university when I look back at what we used to do, (laughs) uh, which was rote learn and then get into an exam and reproduce it without real understanding. Wonderful. And I guess fleshing out that answer a little bit, other than the skills that they're learning in extension, what would you say are the key skills or knowledge that high school chemistry is aiming to instill in the students by the time that they leave and take on jobs or further study? So high school chemistry has some really important things that students walk away with. Firstly, they walk away with scientific literacy. So important in today's society with so many different sources of information that they can discern the information and really work hard to understand, well, what is the science? There's so much now with social media that scientific literacy, I think, is the most important skill that students need in the world. 
The other thing with chemistry, as much as I love it, it's hard. Some of the work that students do, you don't just get easily. Students have to have resilience and problem solving and work hard to overcome that. So those are skills that will serve them well into the future, no matter what career they go into. That idea that if I don't get it the first time, that's okay. I'm just going to work a bit harder and I can get an understanding of this. Yeah, definitely a very well-rounded experience. And so if I was to put you in charge of New South Wales High School Chemistry Education tomorrow and give you free reign to alter its current design, what's something that you think you might start with improving? Well, here we go. (laughs) I'd get rid of a three-hour exam at the end of Year 12. I would make that optional. For some students, an exam is a great way to test their knowledge. For others, It's not at all because students go in, they freeze, and they don't show people what they know. So for starters, I'd get rid of the HSC exams, and that would be across every subject, not just chemistry. I'd give them more opportunity to delve into things that they're really interested in. We still need the explicit teaching of concepts, and I'm not saying we suddenly just let the students have free reign, but I do think we could still have some more flexibility in adapting our syllabuses to student needs and where students are at. So having a bit more flexibility and a bit less prescriptive content would help even more. So they're the main things I'd do allow the students a bit more freedom, the teachers a bit more freedom, and then looking at different ways of assessing and giving choice around that assessment. Mm, I suspect many of the students might wholeheartedly agree with getting rid of the exams. Hmm, I'm sure they would. (laughs) Now, just to finish up with, what have you found to be the major challenge in your time teaching chemistry? And then on the flip side of that, what has been the most rewarding aspect of the job? I'm going to start with the most rewarding because I like to be positive. Most rewarding is just working with these students and seeing that light bulb moment when they get it, when they persevered and found something really hard and then suddenly they go, oh, I can do this. I also, it's not necessarily when they leave school, it's when they come back to you a few years later and say, What you did and how we learnt really helped me or really opened my eyes to what I could achieve. Biggest challenge is working within that prescriptive syllabus. Sometimes you'd like to throw it up, throw it out. (laughs) And same with the exam because sometimes that just puts students off having a go. If they're actually trying to chase an ATAR to get to uni or something like that, They might not study a subject that um, they might not be rewarded with by the end of year 12. I think the rewards of studying something like chemistry, if you're not a student who's going to get a really high ATAR, the rewards come later. So sometimes that puts students off because they're not going to get a 90%. They might get a 70 and they'd prefer to do another subject where they could score a higher mark. So sometimes that can be disheartening. But overall, teaching's the best job in the world and teaching chemistry makes uh, the best job even better. (laughs) I think here at the RACI, we would wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) Uh, Regina, it's been a real pleasure to hear the enthusiasm come through the microphone today. And on behalf of us here at Chemically Speaking, we wish you and O'Connor all the best for your future. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you.
Welcome back to Chemically Speaking. I'm Dr. Matt Griffith, and today we're discussing the trends in chemistry education in Australia. Our second guest is Associate Professor Daniel Southam from Curtin University, whose research area focuses on chemistry education. Daniel works to improve students' perception of chemistry and to develop capacity for real change in the depth of their understanding and enjoyment of chemistry. As a fellow of the RACI, he has won numerous awards for his education initiatives and is also a key member of the RACI Tertiary Degree Accreditation Program. Daniel, thank you very much for joining us today on Chemically Speaking. Pleased to be here, thanks. Now, when did you develop your passion for chemistry and what was it that made you choose chemistry education as an area of research? That's a really good question. I guess it's probably through my education that passion for chemistry for me was actually born primarily through interactions with really good teachers, starting quite early in my education, particularly in high school. As is the case for a lot of people who are passionate about chemistry, we had that really great chemistry teacher. And particularly for me, it was the hands-on practical element of chemistry that was the most exciting, being able to observe and touch and to some extent control and manipulate chemical phenomena in a laboratory and actually see the outcome as a tangible product in many cases was really exciting. When I went to university, for me, I had sort of two main areas of passion. I knew I was passionate about science and I was also passionate about music. And it was weighing up which of the two would be more likely to give me a career and which of the two could remain as a hobby or an interest. And obviously music is a hobby of an interest and chemistry became my career. And so then the transition to being a teacher, I sort of described myself as a chemist, a teacher, and then an education researcher. The transition there is fairly chronological. So obviously those of us who go into academia have to teach. That's a big part of what we do in a university is to teach and to do research. And the teaching part came first. And then obviously applying the same principles that I learned as a chemist and a scientist to educational concepts really came after the practice of teaching, trying to work out how and why we can help others learn yeah, very interesting. So we echoing the thoughts there from Regina earlier that what attracts students to chemistry is an inspiring teacher and a need to know about the world. Mm. It's absolutely a teacher, someone central to their experience. I guess versus where I'm at, perhaps to where other people are at in terms of their workplace at my university, it is largely a professionally practically oriented university and those of us in chemistry chemistry doesn't really have a singular professional outcome it often leads to other professions and vice versa we often teach students who have chosen other professions as well and so i guess when you look at that sort of context what motivates students can be quite diverse so it's tapping into that diversity of motivations and understanding how and why people are there, why are they in your classroom, having empathy for their concerns and their situation and trying to build engaging activities that actually generate motivation through hopefully understanding the concepts that, that we understand. Now, a lot of the concepts in chemistry have been around for many, many years, centuries indeed. What have been some of the major changes to the way that chemistry is taught at the university level over, say, the last decade? It's definitely not about learning a whole lot of facts. Learning reaction X from dead German guy, why, 
and applying it to that specific concept is not really how we approach it anymore. It's largely about systems thinking, about connecting the components that, are, that sort of drive these processes, even at very fundamental levels, like looking at, say, how I learned organic reactions as a very sort of categorical stepwise process. These days, it's actually a, about pushing arrows and understanding the mechanism and, and being able to sort of predict and explain what the outcome might be through those sorts of mechanisms. And you'll find again and again, as we come to better understand the chemistry, we find ways to connect it into those broad ideas and concepts rather than a whole lot of memory work, what we call declarative knowledge. Right. And so something that we touched on with Regina was the merits or otherwise of focusing assessment at the high school level so heavily on this one HSC exam. Mm. How does the university typically structure chemistry assessment across a course and a degree? It's changing, actually. We're obviously in the middle of a pandemic. Some of the mechanisms through which we'd assess are fundamentally based on getting a whole bunch of people in one space at one time. And that's really not feasible under the current circumstances. And as a consequence, so many of us have had to think of creative and different ways to assess, to assess students' abilities, to assess their readiness for study. Then what happens at high school is less and less important about whether that's a marker for success or otherwise at a university level. In my own practice, for example, during the uh, the COVID pandemic, we switched a lot to oral assessment. So actually getting students to explain, usually through an examination type situation, what they actually understood, what they knew, what they could apply. And that responsive nature of the assessment itself was really valuable. We found in a very short amount of time, we could get to understand what students knew and be able to assess their understanding with fairness and with accuracy. That's really interesting. And I suppose it also saves you from having to mark 500 exams every year. Yeah, it's still time consuming. I mean, spending 20 minutes each with your students is still time consuming, but it's having that value. And the return, obviously, to the student is that they get a lot of feedback immediately about their understanding. And so aside from your own research into chemistry education, you're also a key part of the RACI's accreditation program. So could you tell us a little bit about what this program aims to do? So the aim is ultimately to look at curricula across Australia, chemistry curriculum, look at the courses, look at the units, look at the components that exist within it, understand the student's experience, and most importantly, determine their outcomes, because it's through those outcomes that our next generation of chemists coming into the workplace and obviously into the institute as members really should have the characteristics that encapsulate what it means to be a chemist for us in Australia. And so the RACI sees this as a really high value activity because it is that pipeline of talent into the next generation. Right. And so for those listeners out there that might be associated with the university and thinking about applying for accreditation, what does it typically involve and what type of information would the assessors be looking for? It's a very data-driven process. So what we do is engage with the institution to establish some parameters around that data collection process. Each university has its own language, its own lexicon, its own jargon. And as a consequence, we need to navigate through that layer first. So what do you call a course or a program or a degree, a unit, a course or a paper? They all have different terminologies. They're all measured in different ways. 
And so we have to get through that part first. Once we've got a sense of what the university values in terms of its components, then we go to data collection. We actually draw and aggregate data about the student's experience. How many hours do they spend in the lab? What activities do they do? How are they assessed? And what outcomes are they assessed against? Now, the outcomes are really the part that's consistent from accreditation to accreditation. We use what we call threshold learning outcomes to do that. Threshold learning outcomes are basically like a doorway that a student goes through and every student should pass through each one of these thresholds as a consequence of their experience. And so we chart the ways in which the student will experience and pass through those thresholds and try and determine how they're assessed. Assessment being the crucial element that demonstrates that they've actually attained that outcome. So on the balance of probability, is it likely that every graduate of the institution has met those outcomes? We form a series of recommendations, commendations and affirmations that helps a continuous improvement cycle because ultimately we all want the best quality experience for our students. Absolutely, we do. And what are the benefits of carrying an RACI accreditation in a chemistry-related program? It's a really clear marker of quality to your students, to your potential learners. It sets apart the course that you offer. It really allows your graduates to understand how their early career starts through your experiences and flows through into membership later on. It's also a way in which your potential employers for your graduates can know that your students are learning the skills and knowledge necessary for 21st century careers. Okay. And in your own research and perhaps through your participation with the accreditation program, you would see a lot of different ways that chemistry education is approached. Is there something that you see that might be a recurring theme which you wish would be changed or improved or just removed from the way we teach chemistry? There's obviously still a really big emphasis on content knowledge, on understanding a whole series of concepts. And in fact, while that's an important element, it's going to be present in everything we do. We're chemists first and foremost. We have that as a very strong identity. We do need to acknowledge that we can walk and chew gum. We can do more than one thing at once. And in fact, sometimes the context or the process through which we learn these ideas is as or perhaps even more valuable than the concepts that we're trying to teach. And so if there's a little bit more attention and focus to skills, to the context that sits within, we're going to build those attributes in our graduates that we say we do, but maybe we don't always demonstrate effectively. Building on those attributes that we're trying to create in our graduates, do you hear much from employers about where chemistry graduates become employed in the workforce? Do they stay in chemistry-related jobs or do they expand into other fields? What's typical? I think it's really, really hard in chemistry. Obviously, in other professions, the training that you gain from day one really is a well-trodden path to a particular career. We just don't have that in chemistry. But what we do understand is that those that generally go into a bench job in a laboratory will often only stay in that particular sort of position five to 10 years and then transition into other careers, often management. Chemists make particularly good managers because the sorts of training that we get are really about critical thinking, about systems and understanding how to optimize those systems. It's working with people and engaging with them in what they do. And it's just, it's all those sorts of transferable skills which translate to other careers. 
Well, what a fantastic message to send to people. Come and be a chemist, end up a boss. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Daniel, it's been fantastic chatting with you today and I feel like we've really gained some great insight into how chemistry is taught and assessed at the university level. So on behalf of Chemically Speaking, thank you once again for joining us today. Pleased to be here. Welcome back to Chemically Speaking. I'm Dr. Matt Griffith, and today we're discussing the latest trends in chemistry education in Australia. Our final guest on today's episode is Dr. Andrew Shepherd, who is the Production Chemistry Discipline Lead at Shell Australia. Andrew has been involved in the energy and chemical industry for over 20 years, where he has held a number of roles developing and leading teams of professional chemists in several different countries. Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you with us on Chemically Speaking today. Oh, it's my pleasure to help the RACI with the series of interviews. Your background is in chemistry. So what did you focus on in your studies and why did it capture your attention? Yeah, I've always been interested in science and mathematics, but chemistry in particular captured my imagination as I was in high school, particularly with the challenges associated with lab work. I had a very inspiring high school teacher called Mr. Newton. I hope he's listening to this. And so he he really set me in the track to becoming a chemistry professional. Now, you ended up joining Shell directly after getting your PhD in chemistry and have held a number of chemistry-related roles with the company. What is it about a role in industry with a company like Shell that made you want to pursue a career in this particular direction? Thanks for the question. I had a bit of an unusual career in the sense that I left undergraduate school and worked for a few years for an energy service company. And after a few years, I decided to go back to academia to work on a PhD. And what motivated me to do that was a personal choice or the desire to learn more about a particular subject in oil field chemistry. When I decided to return to industry, I knew what to expect in terms of the sort of work environment and ways of working, uh, which are somewhat different from university. Sounds like a great lot of fun. Now, you've held chemistry-related leadership positions with Shell in the Netherlands, in Malaysia, and now in Australia. Have you found any major differences in the training and skill sets across these different countries? Yeah, look, working in different countries and in different areas of the business does allow you to experience different cultures. And I'm very grateful of having these opportunities. You meet a lot of different people, even in the same country. But what I've really enjoyed is the multidisciplinary approach to the work that I have done. As a chemistry professional, and this goes back to the question you were asking me about academia versus industry, as a chemistry professional working for a big organization, you often find yourself in multidisciplinary teams. So talking chemistry, but within the context of a lab design or a startup of a project, a drilling rig. And that's really what gives me energy and gets me excited to come to work every day. Yeah, excellent. And following up on that theme, you've been responsible and are responsible for supervising a range of staff with chemistry backgrounds. And so are these staff mostly in lab positions or do these chemistry skills and training end up popping up across other areas of the business? Yeah, the energy industry provides a lot of in-house training, but with regards to the sort of roles within chemistry, there's a mix between 
sort of classical lab work. So a lab analyst doing work on a different amount of work streams, and these can be water fluids, water different fluids, aqueous fluids, gas, chemicals. But my team is also involved in the sampling of these streams, which is an equal part of performing work according to, to quality standards. And that occupies a lot of my time too, because we have to ensure that the design for a sample is safe and operable. On top of that, we also have chemistry professionals that are actually looking at the performance and the deployment of different sorts of applications in the field, corrosion inhibitors, biocides, gas treatment chemistries. These need to operate according to a certain operational envelope, and they need to be stable, and they need to be compatible with both the fluids that are being deployed into and the materials where they are also used. Excellent. Sounds like a very diverse industry. And so we've heard a little earlier on this episode about some of the skills that we're trying to instill in chemistry students at high school and university. I'm interested in following that through to the other end and to employable skill sets in jobs. What are the most useful skills that people with chemistry educations bring to a company like Shell or others in Australian industry? Well, from my experience in the chemistry um, domain, I think being able to talk chemistry in a multidisciplinary environment is very important. So being able to communicate chemistry information or slash chemical safety information in a simple way, in a way that anyone can understand, is a great skill set to have. The second skill set involves upscaling of lab methods or techniques into, let's say, a wider or a larger scale in the plant. Understanding the limitations of what you do in the lab and how that could impact the deployment in, let's say, a boiler or a process vessel. The molecules are the same, but the way that the molecules will behave in the lab, which is a very controlled environment, versus a multi-phase, high-temperature, high-pressure environment, they're different. The third skill I would like to focus on here is the ability to see the big picture. So the life cycle of a chemical application or the lab design is not just, here's the lab, let's go make it work. If you're designing a lab, for instance, you have to think about equipment. You need to think about maintenance. You need to certainly think about how people are going to be trained. Do you have the right procedures, right? Do you have the right waste management framework in place? And certainly going back to that discussion we were having about academia versus industry, in academia, we tend to focus on potentially a very narrow view of our project whilst having the life cycle in mind and really helps the chemistry professional to be successful. I see. And I can see that you also hold a visiting professorship at the University of Queensland. So you have this unique experience where you're a leadership position in industry, but you also have input into the training and education side. So if you could have a bit more stronger input into the way that we currently train chemistry students, what would be something you might like to include or change about the current education training? I think the current education training here in Australia is world-class. And I think Australia actually has a lot to teach other parts of the world. Having a open dialogue between industry and academia and chemistry is quite important because the learning opportunities work both ways, right? Chemistry students can see applied chemistry in a big organization and through events that the RACI organizes, 
and lectures and seminars. This is very important. As a former PhD student, I know that sometimes it can get a little bit isolating in a lab working by yourself. So networking is quite important. But for energy and chemistry professionals, it is also a good opportunity to know the latest trends in research, to understand where the PhDs are going in terms of new technologies, new analytical tools. So it's a mutual beneficial agreement in that respect. And if we turn our attention to the future for a moment and where these degrees can take you, what areas of Australian industry do you think will have a high need for workers with a chemistry training over, say, the next decade? If we focus specifically on chemistry, so I see a lot of new research that's being done, particularly in Australian universities, on new energies. Batteries is a good example. New chemical sensors to be used online for various sorts of process control. Of course, there's some very exciting work being done in Australia on the lab of the future. So what sort of lab capability? And by, by lab, I don't mean just the instrumentation, but the laboratory and information management systems that could help to make our work in the lab easier with predicted algorithms. I think that's quite important that we keep that in mind as, as areas where we need to continue to stretch the state of the art in chemistry. So my message is a message of hope and optimism because of COVID. It's been a, a challenging year for everyone, and we're not over COVID yet, but I think my message is one of hope and optimism for the chemistry community, particularly the students who are now finishing their research and their work. Fantastic. What an amazing vision for the future, and great on behalf of the RACI to hear that there are so many chemistry jobs out there for all of our graduates. So, Andrew, on behalf of us here at Chemically Speaking, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Those of us of a certain age will remember our chemistry education as being full of memorization of facts and figures, of rules and reactions. But as we've heard today, there's been a real shift in the approach to chemistry education to put control back into educators' hands and focus on a depth of understanding at the expense of the traditional rote learning techniques. As our guests have outlined today, it doesn't matter whether you consider education from the perspective of a school classroom, a university lecture theatre, or a workplace laboratory. Similar themes tend to emerge. The most important role of a chemistry educator is to inspire. Educators and managers that take the time to connect with their students and provide an exciting vision of where they can go tend to be those who have the most impact. We've also learned that it's critical to put key themes and knowledge into context, seeking real-world examples that our staff and students can use to place the concepts of chemistry within the framework of their own lives. The RACI itself has a particular interest in helping educators develop the very best chemistry experiences, developing an accreditation program that serves as a mark of merit within the community. And finally, we've heard how the key skills from a chemistry education can morph into a range of different careers that are currently in high demand in Australian industry, proving once again the value of a good chemistry education. And that's all we have for you on today's episode of Chemically Speaking. Don't forget to subscribe to listen to us on your favourite podcast platform, or better yet, 
write us a review, or jump on the website and get in touch. We really would love to hear back from you. I'm Dr. Matt Griffith, and we'll be back in September with a new episode talking about how our young and emerging leaders are navigating their way through modern chemistry workplaces. Until we speak again, I hope your days are brightened by a little tweak of chemistry.